Good evening, and welcome to the Rocky Mount Chaver Kaddish's Zion Adar Dinner. I recently, I recently read an article written by Rabbi Elisha Greenbaum of Australia. He writes, Today is the seventh of Adar, the anniversary of both the birth and death of Moses, the leader of the Exodus and the greatest Jew to have ever lived. God himself in all his glory was the one to bury Moses, and thus this day has come to be associated with the observance and customs of Jewish funerals. In many communities of Hever Kedisha, the Jewish Burial Society observes a solemn fast and then joins in a festive meal. Tonight we are having the festive meal first, before many of us will be fasting tomorrow. <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> the Hever Kedisha is entrusted with preparing our brothers and sisters for their final, final journey in this world. Lovingly purifying the bodies of the departed, it's a weighty responsibility as well as a tremendous honor. During Mincha, the afternoon prayer, some Hevras recite penitential prayers and holds a special fast day Torah reading. We pray our efforts throughout the year to render assistance to the deceased should prove acceptable in God's eyes and that our holy work brings our departed brethren the honor that is their due. As we have a splendid meal for ourselves and guests, we sit back and relax. Members of different synagogues and communities who sometimes only meet in the somber surrounds of the Tahara room become fast friends. The volubility and enjoyment level rise as the night progresses. Tonight is our night. The sudden switching of gears can prove somewhat disconnecting, discon disconcerting. It's a strange and abrupt adjustment from solemnity to enjoyment, from sobriety to joy, or vice versa. It reminds me of Purim itself, where the festive day is immediately preceded by the fast of Esther. There is, in fact, a direct correlation between the seventh of Adar and Purim. The Midrash relates that the entire Purim story is predicated on a misunderstanding about the meaning of the seventh of Adar. When the evil Haman threw his infamous poor, his lottery, to determine an appropriate date for his planned massacre, the lot fell on the month of Adar. Knowing that Moses had passed on the seventh of Adar, Haman rejoiced because he considered this a propitious month for his destructive plot. Little did Haman know, however, that Moses' birthday was the same exact day, and rather than proving an unlucky month for the Jews, the birth of our leader presaged a time of good fortune for our people. Purim was the time of Vinahafahu, revolutionary and unexpected change of fortune, with the wave of a scepter who went from an impending holocaust to an incredible salvation. The seeds of, Haman, of Haman's eventual destruction and of our national reawakening had been sown months before with Esther's ascension to the throne. This, then, is a tradition, traditional Jewish response to tragedy and threat, confidence that good will always conquer evil, that justice will ultimately prevail. Moses died on this day? Don't forget that he was also born. You're worried about the present? Remember the glorious past and look forward to the promising future. We are a people that can switch gears effortlessly from sadness to joy, from repentance to positivity. We can fast all day and feast all night. We have a great God, and we are assured that he is always looking out for his people. Since Rocky Mountain Chavar Kedisha was formed, we have strived to make sure that all Jews who have passed can receive a proper Jewish burial, even if we have to travel to provide a tahara. In the past few years, we did travel a few times to Boulder to perform a taharas. And as I've said before, 
We still have yet to cross Quebec going east to do a Tahara. <laughs> At this time, I'd like to thank all the various medical professionals throughout the years that I have asked many questions to in order to provide a, pro a proper Tahara. I would also like to thank Jim Cohen and the staff at Feldman's, Amy and, Amy, Amy and Ian with Shalom for all their help during the different protocols to ensure proper Taharas could be performed while keeping their staff and our staff as safe as possible. I would also like to thank the Heft family for sponsoring this event tonight in memory of Eva Heft, Rivka Basihoshua on her first yard site. May her memory be for a blessing. Amen. Lastly, on behalf of myself and the board of the Rocky Mountain Clever Kadisha, I would like to thank all the men and women and their families who gave up their time to take my calls and texts to rearrange their schedules to help in this chesed shall emes, kindness of truth. Tonight, in gratitude to all of those involved in the chever or supporting the chever in other ways, we are honored to have Rabbi Joshua Rosenfeld share with us words of chizuk, strength, to help, uh, to help uplift us in this holy endeavor. I feel like I grew up here. Although I am a dyed-in-the-wool five-towns kid and probably will never escape that fact, the place I spent the next most amount of time growing up was here in Denver. It was a special point of pride for us, deeply ensconced in town, to feel that our roots were so strongly attached to a place that in our myopic New York metro area worldview was very much out of town. <laughs> Not the least, it was much more fun rooting for the Broncos in the late 90s than the New York Jets. <laughs> Coming to Denver, whether it was for a short extended weekend visit or a full winter break skiing at Copper or eventually for me full summers at Camp Shy at the JCC was a deeply emotional and fraught experience. I want to explain. In general, my Saba was the more emotive and verbal of my grandparents here, which is not to say that my Safta was not emotive herself. She most definitely was. But my Saba would often do this thing where even the most mundane moment would be infused with Kedusha, the sanctity of survival. I remember these moments throughout my childhood until my Saba's eventual Petira passing. You could see it coming from a mile away. He would sort of go quiet and his eyes would water he might bring me in for a close hug, or he would just stare at me or my brothers. And then he would say something just massive. He would go something like, you know, from the very moment that I saw you being wheeled out of the nursery in the hospital, I knew that I had survived. Something like that. Another constant refrain was he would look at us and say, you are my whole life. And this was very normal in our family. And I imagine that similar experiences permeated the home's of other survivors in the East Side and the West Side community that my Saba and Safta called their closest friends. Life in my grandparents' presence was constantly informed and illuminated by the Tzel Mavas, the overwhelming shadow of death. And that is precisely what I intend to speak about this evening. It's a distinct pleasure and honor to say words of Torah and Chizik in the presence of the members of the Rocky Mountain Hever Kedisha. We stand, I wrote at the cusp, it is Zion Adar, the yards of the Moshe Rabbeinu, and while appreciating the life and death of a man that the Torah tells us, Ish lo yades no one knows where his burial place 
is until this very day. We honor those who spend their nights, days, and everything in between focused on the proper performance of this most unique and special of mitzvot, the chesed shall emes, the proper respect and burial to a fellow Jew. Now, this holy work is often done with a great degree of discretion and modesty, as the Torah themselves are performed in silence, in dumiyah. The Zohar HaKadosh in Parshas Emor tells us that there was another area of tahara, of holiness, in which servants of Hashem worked in silence. And that was the avod of the Kohanim in the Beis HaMikdash. The Zohar HaKadosh says, Amar HaKohanim, Emor El HaKohanim Belechishu, which means that Rav Yitzchak in the Zohar teaches that Moshe Rabbeinu whispered those very first instructions to the Kohanim, just like the silence that cloaked their actual service in the Beit HaMikdash and Mishkan. It would seem that there is something profoundly meaningful to a mitzvah that is both done in silence and mostly kept silent about after the fact, and in a world that as yet lacks the renewed service of the Kohanim, the only people nowadays who conduct such avodas Hashem in silence would be the members of the Chavra Kadisha. However, as is the practice of many Chavras, including our own in Stamford, Connecticut, there are times when this work and its impact are indeed spoken out loud. And our intention is to do so in a way that honors and does justice to the Kedusha and merits of this Chavra here, and hopefully enables them to continue to do this work and with the proper support until the day in which it is hopefully soon no longer relevant and that day should speedily arrive Amen. as I mentioned it is especially meaningful to have the opportunity not just to do so here in Denver but even more so just steps away from the Makom Kabua of my Saba Levracha here at the East Denver Orthodox Synagogue and the chairs used to be facing sideways. I don't know what happened. It's a little bit more organized. Saba and Joe Schwartz of blessed memory would sit literally right around the corner over here. And it's even more meaningful to do so together with a chevra that showed such tremendous, tremendous kavod to both my Saba and Safta and my uncle David Rosenfeld and gave our family such peace of mind and comfort in the wake of what was really irreplaceable losses, literally a generation passing, a door holech. It is surreal, as I mentioned to a few people, to return here for the first time since Uncle David's funeral last year and to only have Matsevos to visit in Denver for the very first time in my lifetime. The sense of finality and longing is profound, and it's something that once was, no longer is, and will not be so. And as so many of us have unfortunately experienced a piece of us is now gone as well. I also want to express special thanks at the outset, it's not really the outset, I'm somewhere in the middle, don't worry, to Rav Adam Leventhal, to Randy Zakrov for their guidance and hospitality. I did manage to learn a great deal about the scope of the Chevra's work here and gained an understanding of its professionalism and its experience. The fact of the job of a Chevra Kedisha is so sensitive that to speak about it openly risks becoming overtaken by cliché. Modern society goes to great lengths to distance itself from death. I think that's why our popular culture sometimes is so obsessed with it. It's part of how we distance it and keep ourselves away from it while still acknowledging it as a fact in the background. Now, why is it so hard to confront this? Shlomo HaMelech already taught us in Sefer Koheles 
It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a celebration, a wedding, a bar mitzvah, simcha, bat mitzvah. Coming close to grief and to our own limits educates us in ways that are hard to forget. It is not easy to come to terms with this, and yet a Hevra Kadisha chooses to see this reality head on and fulfills a totally unique mitzvah in the process. The potential benefit is mentioned at the end of the same Pasuk. It finishes alibo, and the living shall take this to heart. When we see death up close, accept it, and then treat it with its proper kavadames, with its proper respect, one cannot emerge unchanged or unscathed. This is Shlomo HaMelech's message. As Ibn Ezra explains, by adding just two words, while you're still alive, that we must sometimes be shaken to remember that we are indeed here, that we are indeed alive. Recognizing that is a gift. This pause and this mindfulness has more power than anything else in making us better people. This was a central theme of a talk given in Tamas of 1982, summer of 1982, by Rav Shimon Rosenberg in Yeshivara Kotel. Rabbi Rosenberg, or Rav Shagar for short, was the interim Rosh Yeshiva for a year while Rabbi Yishayahu Hadari was on sabbatical. Rav Shagar was handpicked for this role despite his very young age. It was an extraordinarily tumultuous year for Israel and the Yeshiva. The Second Lebanon War, the First Lebanon War, and the taking of Beirut by the IDF was a tactical success, but a strategic failure, and Lebanese President Bashir Gemayal would be assassinated in a few weeks' time. Israel would face the rising threat of Hezbollah for the next 15 years. Two of the yeshiva students had just fallen in battle with the Syrian army in Sultan Yaqub. Their names were Arya Yehoshua Strauss and Shmuel Yar Landau on the 20th of Sivan. Every two weeks, Rav Shagar would give a drasha, a sermon to the yeshiva, and he began this one with the following piercing words. He said, war and the fall of our close friends, may Hashem avenge their blood, make the foundational questions all too real for us. What is life and what is death? What is the meaning of our lives and the purpose of our creation? And what is the meaning of our death? Which sometimes seems to be so random, so unexpected and so cruel. Finally, how does this all help us to understand the ways of Hashem? Now what follows is one of the most profound encounters with these questions that I have personally come across in all of Jewish thought. And ultimately something very uplifting emerges and the basis for much of our learning here tonight. Rav Shagar himself was no stranger to close encounters of the existential kind. Not far from the Sultan, the Sultan Yaqub battlefield, Rav Shagar himself was seriously wounded during the Yom Kippur War in Ramat HaGolan. The tank he shared with two fellow members of the yeshiva at Yeshivara Kotel sustained a direct hit and both of his friends were killed in action. Rav Shagar himself sustained serious burns and hovered between life and death for the weeks and months afterward. Later, in an interview, Rav Yaakov Meidan, the Rosh Yeshiva of Haratzion, said that when he saw Rav Shagar on the battlefield, he thought he was looking at a ghost. Rav Shagar was a unique and unusual, prolific Talmud Chacham and thinker. He distinguished himself in the traditional yeshiva program of Gemara and Halacha, and eventually would go on to found one yeshiva of his own with Rav Adin Steinsaltz and Rabbi Menachem Froman 
And then another called Yeshivat Siach with Rav Yair Dreyfus. Rosh Hagar helped to establish innovative Torah institutions like Beit Morasha and Ma'aleh, a religious theater school. He's probably as responsible as any other individual for the introduction and integration of Hasidic texts and thoughts in religious Zionist yeshivot. He dealt extensively with the challenges of postmodern thought for the religious individual, as well as the difficulties of faith in general. I am comfortable saying in public that his Torah has completely changed my life for the better. So we might ask, how could something uplifting emerge from such a fraught and painful discussion of death? Shagar channels Kafka, who once wrote that the meaning of life is that it ends. Much like the comments of the Ibn Ezra, Roshagar sees something redeeming in the confrontation the living have with their own mortality. And this is far more than some late night dorm room discussion, but rather it is Dvarim Haomdim Berumo Olam, the most important of topics that Chazal, our rabbis, dealt with extensively. One theme that Chazal returned to is the sense that life's meaning is tied into the fact of our own eventual passing. David HaMelech praised Hashem at every stage of his life. The Gemara Brachas and Daf Yod Beis tells us that each Barchinafshi, my soul blesses, that David HaMelech composed in Tehillim corresponds to a different stage in life. From before birth, Barchinafshi is Hashem v'chol kerovai Hashem kadsha. David HaMelech is praising God while still in his mother's womb. To the downfall of his enemies and adversaries, and the wicked will no longer be present. My soul blesses Hashem. David HaMelech experienced and praised Hashem through it all. Finally, he gazed at the day of his own death and praised Hashem here as well and said, My soul blesses God. In my life, says King David, I've come to recognize your greatness, Hashem. And the moment that you remove your sustaining presence, it shall end and I shall return my soul to you. These words should sound familiar because they are remarkably the very same verse said when somebody wraps themselves up in a talit in the morning, itself a recollection of a future day, a future wrapping in talit or tachrichin, on that final day. Rav Shagar put it so beautifully that I wrote a small unbelievable in my Sefer. He says, the same soul that sings of the joy of youth and the blossoming of individuality also sings of its own demise. Rashmul Barnachman encapsulates this idea so poignantly in a beautiful Medjish Rabbah on Bereshis, quoting a rather startling teaching by Rabbi Meir. Listen to this. He says, I was riding on the shoulders of my grandfather as he was traveling from his town to Kfar Hanan by way of Beit Sha'an. On the way, we encountered Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, who was sitting and expounding and saying that in the Torah of Rabbi Meir, they found written, Vihine tov ma'o tov mavas. When Hashem looked at creation and declared it is very good, Rabbi Meir added the annotation, death is that goodness. Roshmuel Bar Nachman's statement while riding on his grandfather's shoulders, a rather beautiful picture of youth and old age together, reminds me of another unusual thing that Sabazal used to often do. He would remind me, quoting Kohelas, you could expect it was pretty heavy living with them sometimes. <laughs> he would say, Smach Bach Rebiyal Secha, rejoice in your youth. 
It felt like a command for him with his weakened heart and knees still bearing the scars from the camps, seeing us playing football in the backyard or even beating each other up to the floor (laughs) was a reminder of this charge. Unfortunately, as Shlomo HaMelech and my Saba knew, this gift was often lost upon the young. It took those who knew death to fully appreciate the joy of life. Once the stark acceptance that the clock is always ticking and that our time here is actually limited subsides, then something amazing can now occur. We become freed to really live our lives with this truth in hand. Generations come and generations go, said Kohelis, and our passing is part of that very cycle. But within that is freedom. Rav Shagar writes these amazing words. Death is the most certain thing that we have. One day we too will not be here. And yet this feeling is not one of despair, but it is the opposite. It is liberating. It unshackles us from our gaiva, from our ego, that stands in the way of truly meaningful acts, such as performing a chesed that no one can quite repay, for example. It delivers us from that suffocating and constant worry about ourselves. To be sure, Rav Shagar is not ignoring the fact that not all passings are created equal. There are many different levels of loss. From a broad perspective, however, this is a profound lesson to be learned about what it means to live in truth. The emes. The Baal Shem Tov once taught his chassidim that a person should daven and pray each prayer as if it is their last. What the Besh meant was that something truly authentic and real is only possible once that we have accepted that this act could very well be our last one. This was the import of the Gemara's statement, Shuv yom echad mitascha, that repentance should be undertaken every day. Don't wait for Elul. Don't wait for Yom Kippur. Because we should look at every day as if it were our only chance. Then it becomes an act of truth. Then we are truly living. After the passing of the Rebetzin, Chaya Mushka, the Lubavitcher Rebbe retreated from the world headquarters of Lubavitch at 770 Eastern Parkway to his private home. Used to receiving thousands there for blessings and the distribution of Sunday dollars, the Rebbe now accepted their words of comfort and nichum avelim. The Rebbe held minyanim in his home for the duration of the Shloshim period and talked extensively about the experience of bereavement in general and on a personal level. In one of the sikhos that the Rebbe gave during the mourning period, he focused on this pasuk from Kohelet that we began with. And the living should take to heart. Openly emotional and in a somewhat weakened state, the Rebbe introduced an unusual concept. The Mivtza Yom Huledes. The now common Lubavitch custom of celebrating Hebrew birthdays. Chassidim of the Rebbe take this very, very seriously. For example, I was at the Ohel this Matzei Shabbos, and amongst the notes there was a birthday invitation to a child's party addressed to the Rebbe, complete with a handwritten announcement of the mitzvot that the child was accepting upon themselves in honor of this occasion. Now, unless you grew up with this yourself, it's almost strange to encounter this custom and the enthusiasm for your own birthday 
that Lubavitch Hasidim sometimes have. After all, the sources in the Torah for the concept of a birthday are scant at all. What did the Rebbe mean by emphasizing its importance? It would seem to me that in his experience of grief, confronting the death of his lifelong partner, the Rebbe recognized the need to understand how it charges us to live with more purpose and meaning. A birthday becomes far more than simply marking point for another personal revolution around the sun, but a deep spiritual celebration of where we are coming from and where we are going, the hachai yitain alibo. And this was the benefit of visiting a house of mourning in Shlomo Hamelis wisdom. I'd like to add another final wrinkle to this. There is, of course, one figure in Jewish history, as Randy mentioned, whose birthday and the date of his passing are so prominent. So much so that Hevra Kaddishot around the world, like the Rocky Mountain Hevra here tonight, choose to mark this birthday, Yortzeit, as their own special day. We might now be able to understand why this date is chosen. For those individuals in the Jewish community whose confrontation with death is the most sustained and profound, Zayin Adar, the Yortzeit of Moshe Rabbeinu, represents a celebration of life in the face of that ultimate fact. The uniquely privileged Ba'alei Chesed of the Chevra, who certainly have spent their time in houses of mourning, turned that into a celebration, a dinner, that highlights the significance and the beauty of a life performed, living Chesed, of a life lived in truth. And if that foundational Chabad idea of Ispashtusa de Moshe Rabbeinu Becholdara Vedara that the presence of Moshe Rabbeinu diffuses into every single generation. We take that seriously. That means that the spirit of the Baal Hilula, the spirit of Moshe Rabbeinu is present here this evening as well. I want to close by reiterating my deepest thanks on behalf of my family to this entire community and to the Rocky Mountain Hevra Kedisha, as well as for the opportunity to join you in sharing words of Torah tonight. It's my hope that even though, as I mentioned, there are only Matzebot left, of the Denver Rosenfelds that the Rosenfelds from the rest of the country do not sever their relationship with this special place, but that it is only strengthened and that it finds itself in times and occasions of simcha and of sharing Torah like this one tonight. May we all merit to greet Mashiach and witness the resurrection of the dead and to live in a time when the reality of death and its incalculable pain and loss is forever wiped away along with every tear. Yehi ratza may it be Hashem's will, shenizke begeula hashleim of amitis b'mehera mamish, that we all merit to witness the final, complete, true redemption for our community, for our people, and for the world entire. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen.